In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. On this episode of Crown Jewels... This week, we are joined by New York Times bestselling author and royal style expert, Elizabeth Holmes. She breaks down her firsthand accounts that she witnessed at the coronation and lets us in on what she thinks is next for the monarchy. We are back with another episode of Crown Jewels, the elite podcast for the royally obsessed, presented by Betches Media. I'm Lex Nico. And I'm Samantha Bush, and today we have a very, very special guest with us. Thrill. Fresh off her time at the Coronation with Hello Magazine, we have veteran reporter, social media sensation, a royal style expert, and New York Times bestselling author of the book HRH, So Many Thoughts on Royal Style, Elizabeth Holmes. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so uh, thank much you for, for being us. here. Yeah. I was upset like I was just like this is gonna be the best conversation ever because not only are you a royal style expert who we've both followed for many years Mm -hmm. you are truly coming fresh off of coronation weekend boots on the ground and we're so thrilled about that (laughs) (laughs) it was quite the trip I know how was the coronation like was it exactly what you kind of envisioned it to be or like what was how was your like what was your experience like you know i did a lot in the lead up to it to try and understand what is a coronation right because obviously here mm-hmm. in america we don't have them <laughs> mm-hmm. and the last one took place 7 decades ago in the uk so i was just i was i spent so much time trying to understand what a coronation is and what it means um so that when i watched it i would be as prepared as possible but even with all of that i think it did not land the way that I expected it. And it certainly did not, um, from my followers, um, sort of resonate in the way I think that a lot of people had sort of anticipated. And I think it's because, listen, when the queen was crowned, she was a young 27-year-old woman in Mm -hmm. 1953. Mm -hmm. And here we have a 74-year-old man in 2023. (laughs) And that's just a very, a very different visual. contrast. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And she became queen under very different circumstances. Like everybody was kind of, you know, I feel like people were rooting for her because, you know, she had lost her father and everything like that. Whereas with King Charles, it's people don't have the same adoration for him. And especially I think Camilla carries a lot of that. I think that too, you know, We know so much about Charles. He is the first sort of heir to the throne in the modern media age. And every sort of aspect of his very tumultuous life was Mm -hmm. publicized. And the queen, right up until her death, was still a mystery in so many ways. And it allowed people to sort of project onto her what they were looking for from her. 
And it just was a completely different relationship between monarch and, you know, the people. And now here's Charles, who has waited seven decades for this <laughs> job that he was born into at a time when most people, you know, my dad is 73. He's like, I need him to retire. And here's Charles, like, stepping up to this big job. And everyone's like, oh, by the way, you're not your mom. We loved your mom. And so I, I do have some sympathies for him. But you're right. It's just a completely different conversation when you're talking about this man taking to the throne in 2023. Okay. And I also wanted to talk about, because in your article, which I will link when the podcast goes live in my stories so that people can also read it. You say on the morning of Saturday, May 6th, I awoke before dawn and made my way to the procession route, stepping out of my hotel in Mayfair, just a few blocks away from the mall. It was eerily quiet. And then you go on to say, reports in the weeks preceding suggested apathy among Brits toward the new sovereign and even some anger over his expensive crowning in the midst of a cost of living crisis. Was this stillness a sign of those polls playing out? So do you feel like that was the case? Do you feel like things got a little bit more bustling as the day went on? Um, I'm so curious. Yeah, well, so it was very interesting. So I arrived in London the Tuesday before the coronation on Saturday. Okay. And I headed straight to Buckingham Palace because I was like, okay, I got to start like talking to people I want to see because all of the reports ahead of time suggested that apathy and suggested some like concerns over the coronation among Brits. And I was like, well, if you guys aren't excited about this, then what are we all doing? And the first thing that I was really struck by outside of Buckingham Palace as I was just talking to strangers was how many Americans were there. It's so Mm. clear the role that we play in all of this. And we have a very different relationship. We're not beholden to the monarchy in any way. It doesn't define us culturally. It's not our tax money invested in it. It's a very different relationship. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we are part of the attention machine around it. And the Windsors very much rely on that. So the American presence, I just, I can't overstate it. And obviously I'm American. I attract Americans. I was doing American touristy things, but there were just, there were Americans everywhere. But the Brits that I were talking to, one person in particular who, she said, I'm I'm pro monarchy but she said i'm roiled out and the thing is because of the queen's platinum jubilee and then because of her huge funeral there's been these major royal events and so suddenly now to have a third major royal yeah. event, people were having a hard time sort of summoning you know the same kind of enthusiasm and again because it's charles you know what i mean i think people even even brits that i talk to you know every, no one sort of envies the position he's in um it's a very complicated one mm-hmm. and so even the people are, who are all for the royal family were finding it hard to sort of summon the enthusiasm for this moment. I will say, though, so I stepped out of my hotel on Coronation Day, and I had to be at the apartment that Hello rented by 6.30. And I so it was very early. Wild. But yeah. It was wild. No. Yeah, it's a very long day for it you. It was a very long day. Um, <laughs> but I stepped out, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there are people, there are all these people that control a crowd that aren't, the crowd had not yet materialized. But as you get closer to the mouth, and as you get closer to Trafalgar Square where I was headed, there were a ton of people and it went from very quiet to sort of overwhelmingly crowded really Ooh. quickly. And I think, um, you know, the people who turned out turned out early and yes. staked to their spot and stayed through the rain. Mm-hmm. And like there were there were definitely a lot of very committed people wanting to witness this moment in history. But I also think that um, there were a lot of people who, you know, stayed home and perhaps watched it on TV too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Sam and I were talking last week about this. And I think 
you know, for us and sort of like our generation, we have had these two large, like we had Wills and Kate and then Meghan and Harry and the royal weddings. And I don't know why in my mind, like the expectation of the sentiment and emotion that I was going to feel was meant to sort of parallel what I felt watching those two Mm. weddings on TV. But obviously they're different scenarios in that those are, you know, two very young couples that we've almost like grown up with, let's say, and there's a love story and it's just this like beautiful story that we're watching unfold. And then this, I think you're right, was very conflicted, right? You know, obviously I don't feel the same attachment or sentiment toward Charles, just given the differences in our age. And then also I did, and I don't know him, but I'm like, you've been waiting seven decades for this, but like, also, are you not already exhausted? (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people wanted it to feel like a royal wedding because like, I I mean, I came to follow the Windsors in 2011 because of Will and Kate's wedding. And I remember Mm -hmm. fondly Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018. Those are those they were selling us on the fairy tale of all of this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so the love story, on the romance, on the Disney side of things, and this was just very different. They are sort of presenting themselves, and um, you know, this sacred service between you know sovereign and God, and crowning, you know, a seventy-four-year-old man. It's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. No, it felt. We discussed last week too, like there was something very anticlimactic about it. Like we've been Mm -hmm. talking about it for months and then to see it, I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) And like so many people were saying that it looks very different in color. Like it just doesn't have the same, like, Oh my God. She historical weight that it did when it was in black and white. I became so focused on Charles and his face in a way that like was really surprising to me because I write a ton about royal style. I'd studied up on the crowns and the robes mm-hmm. and the scepter and the orb and all this stuff. And it all just sort of faded away when I when I saw Charles going through these motions and I was like, his face, it, it was a reminder to me that there are limits to fashion, to, to even, you know, the crown jewels. Like when it's about the person who's wearing it all. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, because the queen in black and white, again, at 27 years old, mm-hmm. she had her sort of shoulders back, chin up, her eyes were sort of steadfast. And I did not get that feeling from Charles at all. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you wrote that, you know, you sensed like, a hint of sadness, like you could almost feel the literal weight of the crown on him. It felt heavy. Mm-hmm. If he yeah. Felt, if he felt it, and it is, listen, it's a huge responsibility. <laughs> and he, you know, I I did think it was so poignant that he started the service saying, you know, I come not to be served, but to serve. And I thought that was yes. a very sort of humble framing for the whole thing. But still, it just, and, and again, I, I'm an American here watching this. And so I, I feel like I'm bringing my American emotive self to all of it, wanting it to be we a little do bit that more. every week. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a little bit more celebratory. But again, I was like, if you're not sort of seizing this in a way, then how are we supposed to seize this? You know, it right. was just, I, I, I only realized in hindsight that I was looking for some sort of compelling case for the future of this. You know, as a long-time royal mm-hmm. watcher, I was like, okay, you know, like, win me over. And I just, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get that. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to say I'm a pro, I call myself a bowler, as in a Camilla Bowles stan. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, hot take. But so I loved seeing kind of her at the coronation. Like, mm-hmm. this idea that this woman played the long game, essentially, and is now the Queen of England. Like, 
I, it's I couldn't believe like I also think that wild. that added so much weight to this day too because everyone had Diana in their mind you know like what would this have been like if Diana was there if Diana was alive like there was a lot of talk about that oh 100 percent. and it you know as somebody who um, studied Diana a lot for my book it you mm-hmm. know the thought that it's now Camilla and the sort of PR overhaul she's gone through oh my gosh decades. they've been working hard <laughs> Very hard for a long time. And, you know, after um, the Monday after the coronation, I had lunch with um, Bruce Oldfield, who designed her coronation gown. And that was a fascinating sort of glimpse into He was very careful with how he talked about Camilla personally, but the process of how, you know, he, how she just sort of asked him as this aside. She called to another you know, from another room, she's like, Bruce, I'd like you to do the coronation gown. And he was like, what, ma'am? And then, you know, a week later, he had three sketches for her and she tapped on one twice and was like, this is it. And it was like so decisive. And I was like, oh, these little glimpses into how she operates and how they have clearly gotten to this place where she can be crowned. I will say I was surprised at the speed with which they, they, you know, Charles had his sort of full, you know, the oath and the anointing and all of that and the crowning. And that was sort of, um, it was, I wouldn't say it was drawn out. It was sort of appropriately timed. But then all of a sudden it was like Camilla was crowned. Bam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow. Right. Okay, we did that very quickly. Mm-hmm. I know they were cognizant of the length of the service because they were afraid they were going to, um, people are going to turn it off. They were going to get bored with it. And so they wanted to move through it pretty quickly. But Camilla's crowning went so quickly. But then that was the one time I feel like we saw Charles smile a little bit. He he got very moved when she was Yeah. Coming. Yeah. And she That's did too. Girl. She had a little smirk on her face, mm-hmm. you know? Like I think once that crown was on, she was like, oh, I I I used the term and obviously I was exaggerating, but I'm like, there seemed to be this period of the actual ceremony where she was almost like disassociating. And they were speaking on the Good Morning America feed about how she had allegedly been nervous, like all weekend, especially that morning, she was really nervous. So I feel like you almost saw her finally settle once the crown went on her head. And she was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness this is over. I have so many questions and so many thoughts about Camilla because I just, it's, it truly, it, it, you know, Diana, at Diana's death, it was unfathomable that they would even get married. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they, they sort of sold that marriage was to say, oh, no, 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 she won't be, you know, the queen consort. She'll be the princess consort. And then in like the last 18 months from oh, when the yeah. queen was like, it's my desire for her to be queen consort to like cut to a coronation mm-hmm. and she's being crowned. I mean, it's <laughs> but listen, Charles and Camilla clearly have a very unique and special bond. And, you know, I don't think you can be sovereign by yourself. And I think the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, recognized that and and her support of Camilla ultimately is an acknowledgement of the the support that's one's needed and that Elizabeth got from Philip and clearly Charles gets from Camilla. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like there was this, you know, the backdrop of the whole coronation and the thing everybody was talking about was the Harry of it all. Mm-hmm. Harry coming, you know, Megan staying back in California for Archie's birthday. What what was the room like when Harry was walking in or like were people talking about it? How do you feel about that that situation? Listen, I was 
I was so sad when I first saw that Harry and Meghan had decided that that split decision that she was going to mm-hmm. stay back and that mm-hmm. Harry was going to come because I really, really wanted Meghan in this moment. And that was just personal. Yeah. You know, I thought it would have been no, very powerful. Too. And for everything that Charles said about wanting this to be, you know, an inclusive coronation, like what it for, for his own family to not fully be represented, it felt um, it just was so sad to me. Mm-hmm. However, in the end, watching how Harry specifically held himself so mm-hmm. well, if there's ever, I'm like, I could have never imagined like a low key coronation appearance, but that he somehow <laughs> managed to pull that off, mm-hmm. right? By showing up just as it was starting and leaving just as it was as ending. It ended. And it was just um, kudos to him for mm-hmm. holding his. Um, expression and he looked you know like he was happy to be there which had to have been so hard and then you know he was seated in the third row which god history is not going to look kindly on Charles for that like I was shocked the third row I didn't think he would be the first row I thought it would be second at least the second because like also can we just take a minute to like okay it's obviously William is next and then Mm -hmm. William's kids but if for whatever reason something were to happen before William's kids turn 18 Harry would be king Mm -hmm. yeah so I mean, there is so still right a there. presence there. He's yeah. so right there. And and so for him to be placed in the third row, I think Charles, that will be mentioned in every history book about every coronation. I mean, it's just like, yeah. Oh, but I, just, I mean, he walked in with a swagger, with a smile yes. on his face. He kept Unbothered. his head up high, said hello to everybody who said hello to him. Princess Anne went over and said hi before she sat down with her hat. With her feather. <laughs> With the I was feather. like, come on. No, but, and he wore Dior, which is that mm-hmm. a brand that famously dressed his mother, especially in her post-royal life. And I just imagine him sort of suiting up for this moment and like putting on, you know, this armor of a suit mm-hmm. and knowing that it's like a piece of his mother with him. I thought that was really special. That's something I really love about what you do and in relation to the royals is how they speak through their clothes and their jewelry, their accessories, because they can't really come out and, you know, talk. I mean, they, some do talk to the press, but you know, they can't really be too upfront with how they're feeling about certain things and their opinions. So then they kind of just, they wear like Harry wore Dior, which was like a nod to his mom. And like you said, it was like an armor of sorts when he was there, like had her with him. And then, you know, Kate was wearing Diana's earrings. So I just find that so fascinating. Yeah. It's so before Harry and Meghan, the Royals really did not talk like Harry and Meghan talking a lot is very new. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, people sort of forget that because now we're used to Harry and Meghan sharing a lot, which kudos to them. Right. I mean, speak your truth. But before that, I mean, Diana talked every now and then, but st- and that was a huge deal. But for the most part, what they do is they appear in public and they're photographed widely. Those photographs go around the world in seconds. And before we know what they're doing or, you know, what cause they're supporting, we see what they're wearing. And they mm-hmm. know that and they use that. And I think it's so smart. And Diana, you know, the queen um, sort of set the stage for all of this. She understood that, like, clothes were part of her duties and she spent a lot of time and thought. In, in what she wore. Diana made royal fashion exciting and made it sort of a reason to tune in. And she, you know, dressed not just um, for her royal work, but to to show how she was feeling or to her, assert herself or rebel in different ways. And I know that Harry and William have, 
have studied this from their mother. And the fact that Harry wore Dior on Coronation Day was just like, yes, you know your mother used royal fashion so well. And so to see him do that, too. And then clearly, like, if you look at Catherine and now Charlotte, she's, like, passing the torch along. It's kind mm-hmm. of amazing mm-hmm. the, to think of an eight-year-old in McQueen, you know. It, it was incredible Day. to see them side by side, even in photos. Mm-hmm. Like, the just the thought of it and, like, all of the detail in how they really went together almost as like a pairing was, it was just incredible. And I would love to talk about Catherine. Like I I need to talk about her makeup. If you had any opportunity to see her, you know, a little closer, I would just love to understand because she stunned me in how Mm -hmm. she looked on that day. Truly. She was so, she's always so regal to me. And, but there was always a touch of like, um, like accessibility to like th- how she looks like it's very familiar but then on coronation day she came in and like full glam mm-hmm. looking like a literal queen and it just and it there was just a different like aura about her i think so i have mixed feelings on the coronation itself i think the fashion was exquisite and i think it comes down to Catherine's headpiece because totally. there was so much debate one of the things like in the prep for the coronation in the debate among like who, who's going to wear what and are we going to see tiaras are we going to see hats is it going to be gowns or day dresses like nobody knew and that was it was like oddly confusing because mm-hmm. again all we had was like 1953 with the queen's coronation where it was just a bunch of lords and ladies and their tiaras and gowns and mm-hmm. it was just a totally different totally body. different world exactly yeah. exactly and we knew that you know charles had invited a lot of charity workers and they might not just have like a tiara on hand to wear and so like Correct. the tiara <laughs> expectation was like everyone's like well it probably won't be tiaras but like why wouldn't they wear tiaras like of course it's coronation wear tiaras and so it was like the style debate was like uncharacteristically confusing ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like tons of speculation yes. versus fact to go off of. Exactly. And then a week before it leaked in the Times, I believe, or the Telegraph, I forget which one, but somebody said, you know, she's going to wear a flower crown. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah, <laughs> you were like, no. <laughs> Is this Coachella? Like, well, also, I was like, it can't. And, and people were saying it could be real, like real flowers. And I was like, no, this has to go in a museum someday. There's no way they're going to have like something that mm-hmm. will decay. No. You know, like that did not seem. And that also just doesn't seem like her style. No, no. exactly. To wear a flower crown in general. And so when I when I saw Kate the first time, I was like, of course, it's both. It was like this floral headpiece that looked like a tiara that had this sort of formality of the occasion, but it didn't have the price or the history or like questions about where the jewels came from. It was like a new piece, Mm -hmm. right? So it was both sufficiently formal, but it wasn't flashy. It was, you know, sequins and embroidery and this leaf design, which I thought was so much more interesting than flowers, Mm -hmm. right? Flowers can be soft and romantic, but a leaf is like natural and grounded, right? And that's very true to like Charles and his bent towards sustainability and the environment. And so it looked kind of like a Greek, um, like a headdress almost. And so I saw mm-hmm. it and I was like, of course. And then, you know, because she needed with her robes, she needed something that was like sufficiently like statement right? Mm-hmm. To set her apart, but also not like stand out or seem like she was trying to overshadow Charles in any way. I thought it was this brilliant piece that walked this very specific line. And the fact that it was made by Jess Collette, who started her millinery business uh, 25 years ago with a grant from the Princess Trust, which is Charles's foundation. Like, it's just a lovely story. It's they a great a story. Job. 
And now this is a piece for both her and Charlotte, right? That are theirs, original, first of its kind that will, mm-hmm. like you said, be in museums, be passed down mm-hmm. through family members. Like it's actually amazing when you think about that and the decisions going into this. I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming forward. Like a lot of more unnatural like custom pieces right because Kate I feel like has always like reworn pieces mm-hmm. you know Diana's or the Queen's or whoever and now I just feel like she's really going to step it up and there's it's just going to have a very different I think she's just going to have a very different vibe going forward I think that so the um somebody pointed out that the maids of honor to the queen in 1953 wore similar sort of like head pieces that had like a leafy vibe to them mm. and I think it just makes a lot of sense when you see it in cuz like a coronation you can't just wear a hat right it just right sense to wear like robes and a hat and the tiaras would have felt it would have felt indulgent in a way that I think they were just did not want mm-hmm. in 2023 and so this piece I thought it was brilliant and it and it played so nicely with her robes and with the gown and with the embroidery on the gown and of course you know there there it can be like heaps of symbolism right it was the four on the embroidery of the gown it was the four um, emblems of the United Kingdom with each of the nations represented with the rose for England and the thistle for Scotland the shamrock for uh, Northern Ireland and the daffodil for Wales <laughs> I'm like um, and Charlotte had that too and you know Charlotte's cape sort of echoed her mother's robes and it was just it was really well done, I thought, and a, and, and a very tough assignment for, for all involved to dress appropriately and, um, you know, in a grand fashion, but not look like they were sort of flaunting their oh, yeah. position. I, I really think they nailed it. Like I, I, again, they stepped out and they were walking and I was just in awe mm-hmm. of how wonderful they looked. And again, seeing her and Charlotte side by side in those photos, I was like, it took my breath away. And then there were some of those shots of Kate looking over her shoulder and then in the rain, in the in carriage, the in the coach. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, my goodness. So I saw them in the coach. They, were, I was on the side of the street that they yes. were on. And I, I saw Kate. And Kate is, I mean, so beautiful in person, like so stunning. And even through the carriage window, you could just sort of see. But my eye went right to Charlotte because she was delighted by the crowds. Like you could Aww. tell her little eight-year-old eyes She's were going a star. up and down. I yeah. mean, she was just like, because I always watch those kids. I'm a mom myself. I always watch those kids and I'm like, are you guys okay? Are you having fun? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I know I, I was feel concerned about George at certain points. Like, my, I know, this, I really feel for right? them. <laughs> but she looked really be taking it all in. And that made my whole heart happy because I was just like, oh gosh, what a, like, it's such a weird position to be in, but like mm-hmm. to see them. And then did you guys notice that um, the three Wales kids, they made red, white, and blue, the colors of the flag. So George was in red, oh. Louis was in blue, and Charlotte was in white. And so the three of them together made the colors of the Union Jack flag, which I thought was just chef's kiss. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Oh I, I, we always talk about Charlotte on this podcast because there's such She's only eight years old, but she's so poised and she seems to really love being in this kind of position. Like she just seems happy. And it just kind of always makes me wonder, like, I kind of wish she was first in line because I feel like she would be really a really great queen. And I know she's only eight, but she just seems so comfortable and happy. She does. I feel like w- the portraits that came out, you know, the, the official coronation portraits, when they released the one of um, Charles and William and George, I was like, oh, look at all those 
men. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> it's so different. You know, when there was a queen in the mix, it was so mm-hmm. exciting. And it's, it, yeah, I, I think that Charlotte gives me Anne vibes a little bit. Like, totally. she's got yes. that, like, I've got this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm keeping I'll my be the hardest brother working instead. royal. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I do feel, obviously, for the heirs of, or the siblings of the heir after mm-hmm. reading Spare. I think yeah, it's the really, yes. really hard position to be in. But then I sort of um, look to Kate and I feel like she's, you know, there hopefully guiding everybody. But my goodness. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I feel for those kids. Those kids. I, know. I mean, I, my kids are, are roughly the same ages. And to trot them out on the global stage, the pressure of all of that. I mean, I know. Oh, I would. I couldn't be me. A lot of people were talking about how William and Kate looked tense getting out of the carriage. Yes, I wanted and I'm like, to ask well, about this. They've been up since probably 5 a.m. They're wrangling three kids. This is the biggest moment in some of their lives. Like, this is a really big deal. I would be stressed too. I would probably, my face would probably be the same way. Well, it's because they were late. Did you guys pick up on yes. this? Yeah, we, I- yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I um I didn't totally pick up on that until after the fact because everyone was like, why were they late? Why? And and you know this thing was like timed to the minute, mm-hmm. and so the video of Charles having to wait in the carriage and getting very upset about that, and then yes. he showed up, and then they showed up after. I mean, I don't have any. I've seen you know people pointing the fingers, at the kids getting out the door. That's mm-hmm. the most relatable thing in the whole damn circus for me as someone with three kids who struggles Mm -hmm. to get out the door and I was like well maybe so yeah I mean who knows why they were late but I I feel for a family of three trying to get out the door I know three kids yeah well a lot of people want to speculate and say that they were getting in a fight over Rose being there basically like everyone really is highlighting this whole affair with William have you been following that I have. I, I, um, I <laughs> know I'm. If we have you on here, Elizabeth, I need to ask you about the Aquazura bow tie heels. And I want your thoughts on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Such scandal. I, no, I think that um, I was surprised that Kate wore those shoes when she did. I think that uh, there are very few pieces from Megan's royal tenure that sort of jump out to me as mm-hmm. signature Megan pieces. And those very much do. Um, those are Megan, you know, those are Megan's heels in my They're her mind. signature shoe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, you know, Kate has worn them before, and in a pre-spare world, I sort of saw them as perhaps a little bit more of an olive branch than I do mm-hmm. now. You know, I, from what I understand, there's sort of no communication between yes, the yeah. two couples at this point. And so I was really, I was really surprised by that. And I'll just, <laughs> just say that. Of course. And then for Rose to wear them as well to the coronation, it blew me away. (laughs) I was just not, I was like, this is not a coincidence. I will die on this sword. Did Rose wear them to the coronation? I didn't see her footwear. Mm -hmm. She wore those same shoes to the coronation with a black and white dress, just like Kate. It was a very different black and white dress. It's more of a cream and black, but like Kate wore the black and white dress with the shoes. And there was, you know, certain outlets saying that that was an homage to Megan and like you said, an olive branch, but to each their own, like take that with a grain of salt. But then for Rose to wear them the next day or a couple of days later to the Mm -hmm. coronation, I was, my jaw was on the floor. 
Just to be clear, I don't think it was an olive branch at the coronation. <laughs> I think it was an olive branch a year or two ago when she mm-hmm. wore them the first time. It, it it read differently to me now that Harry had shared a lot in spare. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the thing about royal fashion and the meaning that is infused in it is it's not, um, you can't sort of, it's all the time. <laughs> they, they're mm-hmm. very aware of what they wear and the attention mm-hmm. that it gets. And so to, yeah, it's, yeah, the amount I don't of think it's detail and the amount of eyes and how many, you know, are on what they're going to wear in the planning. Like, there's no way that this just like went over anybody's head. Like, there was a reason, there was an intention. No, and listen, the, so Kate in particular, her wardrobe got a lot more modern after Megan entered the equation. And I just, 100%. And, and I've, I've talked about this a lot on Instagram and in my newsletter over on Substack. So much of her sort of modern working royal uniform was first introduced by Megan. Things like trousers which like every woman when wears were dressy all black. trousers mm-hmm. exactly like mm-hmm. all these things that like regular women wear all the time but because Megan wore them in the royal fashion conversation and and you know Kate only wore dresses for a very long time and like it anyway so yes there is a lot that Megan has brought to the royal fashion conversation that I think Kate has embraced and evolved as her own but when we're talking about specific pieces specific styles that is uh a choice yeah it's different I've seen a lot more recently with Kate where and I and I don't like always being like oh well she's doing this because Megan did this but you can't help but see the similarities now Mm -hmm. like and how she's really taken Megan's influence and made it her own because it's a completely different style than what she was wearing before also consider how many shoes Kate has (laughs) Right. That's oh, what many I'm pairs saying. of heels does she have? So no, I feel so vindicated right now because I'm like, <laughs> this was not like Lex was like, all, I am I being a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> of all the black pumps that you in the world, the Princess of Wales could have access to, these right. were the ones that you chose. And then for Rose to double down and do I the had same missed thing. The ro- I I oh, I actually can't picture Rose. I don't I don't know that I've seen pictures of her from the coronation. I got to go look it up. But that's weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was very weird. And you know, everybody was kind of side eyeing it because I feel like Rose really wasn't getting any sort of attention at the coronation. I almost feel like she kind of slipped in through the back door. But I'm really curious now that we've brought up Spare. What are your thoughts on Spare? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! How much time do we have? We, I know it's the book. <laughs> no, listen. I, yeah. I, I think um, I will say that um, for my book HRH, I read so many royal books, and it is you know there there are ways that in the past members of the royal family have let their side of things be known through books, but never has there ever been something like Spare and the ways mm-hmm. in which Harry came forth and shared his story in such a thorough manner mm-hmm. thorough is very it. kind yes. okay, and i do the todger in there we're getting thorough yeah exactly. very thorough and listen i said this um in all of my coverage this is harry's truth this is harry's side yes. of harry's story and i want to know harry's side of harry's story now it doesn't mean there are other sides to all of mm-hmm. this and um i think it's important to um step back a lot of times and think about the other people um, that were involved in the stories he were telling and would they remember it similarly but this is Harry's truth and it's important for Harry to share and I'm glad to know it from Harry um, 
listen, I also brought my second child self, who was very competitive with my older sister. I brought my dead mother self. My mom passed away when I was 24. So I brought all of my sort of like emotional baggage to this Mm -hmm. too. And I just, I saw Harry so clearly. Mm -hmm. And this little boy who was grieving and wanted to be loved and accepted. And here are his father and his brother like preparing to be king one day. And he's just sort of off. And I just, it broke my heart. And I think so much of the, the biggest sort of surprise in all of this to me was his continued support of the royal family. I was waiting for the moment when he's like, nope, this Mm -hmm. institution has done me so much pain. Why are we still doing it? And it was that he said clearly, like, I support the queen. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, that was that was surprising to me. He also loves his father loves his father. He yes. was so gracious and generous to his father. Very and, much so. And I know that, we talk about that a lot. Yeah, we talk that about it a lot. humanized Charles to me mm-hmm. in a way that I think um, people sort of missed because they were so focused on, and you know, like the Todgers. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> well, the headlines painted a picture of this book that was very different. I mean, yes, like the, the way that bait. it leaked was really unfortunate because very. I mean, the, that was a whole mess in the translating it from the Spanish language edition, you know, like excerpt by excerpt. That was just, I kept saying, like, I'm not reading all of this um, pre-release coverage because Mm -hmm. you're not, I want to read it in context. And every single story that leaked ahead of time, when you read it in context, made so much more sense. Exactly. It really I mean, I, like because you're just truly. taking snippets, right? And so when you have it in the full context, you start to get paint a full picture. Yes, and you know, I think we all have agreed on the same thing that it was extreme in the sense that he went there and he didn't hold back in many ways. But to your point, it's Harry's truth. And I think what we're also seeing now through, you know, even in the coronation weekend, as much as we wanted Megan to be there, I feel as though a lot of stories would have been framed around Megan and her attendance. And we even got stories and very negative stories about them without her presence. So you see that you see everything happening in the trial, um, you know, that he's like still undergoing. And you're just like, it's hard to kind of argue his feelings at a certain point, it's getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. No, and I think, too, with Megan, like, how powerful is it to opt out, right? I know. To say, like, I am... To opt out and then go I hiking? I am not going <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a baller move. <laughs> no, I amazing. just think, like, because, you know, when you think about, like, the ways in which you can participate or not in something, sometimes just sitting it out is like the most powerful thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it would have changed the whole the whole tenor of the weekend. You know, I mean the way Harry was able to show up and be like, I'm here to support my father. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, and then and mm-hmm. then run run right back to California to support his son on his birthday. You know, I mean like that in the end I'm like, yes, that was I the see right move. why you guys did that a hundred percent. And I think with spare, the one other thing I want to say is that there is a um And I don't know if this is like American-British divide kind of thing, but this like, you know, some things are better left unsaid. Don't air your dirty laundry. There's that sort of like line of criticism. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't subscribe to that. And I think we all need to sort of question the ways in which we uphold and celebrate silence because Camilla was eventually accepted into the royal family in part because she just, you know, she stayed out of it. You know, she kept mm-hmm. quiet. She carried on kind of thing. And and when you look back, you're like, wow, well, <laughs> OK, but at what cost? You know, we, we expect people to just sort of suffer in silence and just, you know, hold their heads high and carry on and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and. 
why? And, you know, in modern times, are we celebrating that? And I think for Harry to come forth and share, and he's clearly a man who's done a lot of therapy and Mm -hmm. also done a lot of therapy. I respect the hell out of that. And I'm like, you are on a path towards healing. And also, he was never going to get what he wanted from that family. I'm sorry. Like, there was just, because of the way that it places people. For, no. to handle those conversations. And also no. there's a hierarchy. Like I can't even, like he just, he, so some of the stuff that I saw that he wanted and I understood why he wanted it, I was like, you're never going to get that. And you know what? He found his own happiness and, and yes. for him. Yeah. I just find Harry to be an incredibly nuanced person. Like, He's not, I don't think he's very black and white. And I think that that's partially why the book kind of, it kind of went on and on for a little bit at times, because I think he really wanted to show like the full picture. And, you know, I think a lot of Royals fans are very black and white. Like they are very team William and Kate. Yeah. And then they're very team Harry and Meghan. And it can be, Lex and I find it hard sometimes because we, want to talk about it in a nuanced way. Like we see all sides, but you know, you say one criticism against one, that means you hate, hate them, the other, and, yeah. you know? So do you ever have struggles with that? Like if you, oh my like, gosh. Do, you have, do people <laughs> yeah, ever like so accuse you of being biased, you know, yeah. to have an opinion yes. on the Royal family, truly? Well, in a Sunday, everyone has an opinion on the Royal <laughs> family, even if you don't think they do. I know. And I think, um, I think social media exacerbates all of this. And as somebody said, polarization performs and choosing a side. And there's just this idea that you can't follow something um, without being all in, right? Mm -hmm. The the world of like being a fan in 2023 is like you have to like fully, fully support and celebrate everything. Every single thing and never criticize and never. It's just like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't know. As a journalist, I've long covered stuff without celebrating it. And I've Mm -hmm. long been interested and intrigued by something without like championing it. And I just that nuance is lost in today's conversation around the royal Mm -hmm. family. And I think, you know, social media makes it a million times worse. But also like. Now, post-coronation, I have a lot of my followers that are like, oh, like, how do, what, what does this mean? Like, how are we following? Because we're not in the time of royal weddings and royal babies where we just sort of celebrate the good things in life. And like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a royal watcher now? And I sort of feel like we're living through the 90s again, where it was like tough times for the royal family. And I think you can be interested and you can observe and you can think critically about it without celebrating every single aspect of it. Because clearly it's an institution that, that is has brought a lot of um, harm to the people within it. And I have to say, going back to Spare, reading Spare, I was like, wow, I just feel sorry for everybody. That's Seriously. what we were saying, too. Like, William, Kate, Charles, Camilla, every, I mean, Diana, everybody. I'm just like, wow, you're all just trapped. <laughs> right? Like, I think that that's part of what Harry was trying to get across, too, was, like, he feels bad for everybody. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that this is how this how how it is and it doesn't have to be like that they could change it if they wanted but they're so trapped in it that they can't see that it's very complicated it's so complicated and the fact that the royal family could not have figured out a like sort of half in half out arrangement for harry and Meghan, i feel like was really short-sighted because obviously in the near term it would have been messy it would have been complicated there Mm -hmm. would have been a lot of criticism about what they were doing or where they were getting money or how, how often they were showing up to do royal stuff or versus other stuff. Or, it would have been complicated, but in the long term, it would have been a better 
option because Will has three kids. <laughs> he right, has, yes. You know, what are his kids going to be up to and what is that going to look like? And, and, and this, like, the future of, like, being a member of the royal family and what that means when you're not the direct heir – it's just it's it's really complicated, as you say. And and you look at the picture now, the group portrait from the coronation of all the you know mm-hmm. senior working royals and how the fact that there were a dozen people pictured and only four were under the age of 70. Yes. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what is that? You know, and, and like, think in 10 years time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. What are how many doing? people are going to still be alive? And, you know, you have Sophie and Edward who are in their 50s and Will and Kate who are in their early 40s. And that's mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, OK, so. Will, you're going to be king by yourself? Like, that's a lot of ribbons to cut and trees to plant and tours to take and all of mm-hmm. that. Like, it all just feels really short-sighted at this point. I know. And also, so- I forget if Harry said it in an interview or in the book, but he also mentioned in terms of them consistently speaking about wanting a modern mar- monarchy, modernizing the monarchy. And he's like, in Megan, they let go of one of their strongest assets in being able to achieve that. And I have to agree. And I think, again, we've seen all of the press that she gets and how, at least for me, like I saw in the beginning, it start to transition from overly positive into negative. And it's like, I have to, you know, agree with him in that sentiment because it's just like, they really just were so short-sighted and ego got in the way that they couldn't see the bigger picture. I wish they could have played a longer game all around. I wish mm-hmm. the Sussexes could have played a longer game, too. Yes. I mean, the fact that they um, their wedding happened and then, you know, not two years later they were out. I mean, it speaks to how awful it was for mm-hmm. them. But also, like, Diana was was 16 years between her wedding and her death. Like, it was a long time, and that felt like a lot. And so to, like, for the Sussexes, what they went through, and just, again, the fact that, like, nobody was able to help them and Mm -hmm. you know guide them and not be threatened by them and then also like will and kate listen i don't envy them at all i can't imagine what it's like to be in their position and and be raising kids in this and then charles again like 70 years waiting for this job and now he has it and everyone's like what are you doing and Mm -hmm. it's so i don't know it's just it's a it's such a different conversation than when I came to Royal Watching in 2011, where I was like, look at Kate in those pretty dresses. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was talking about Pippa. Like, what know, is simple yes. times? Simple times. I know. Just a very different. But actually, as somebody with a platform who talks about this stuff, I do welcome it because it feels long overdue. And it is fascinating. And this goes back to my time as a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. When you watch a company that was distressed trying to figure it out and trying to, like, mm-hmm. you know, be, um, become solvent and all that stuff, it's just now it's like, oh, yeah, this is a royal family that's trying to modernize mm-hmm. in this in a in in a system that's not meant to move quickly or adapt <laughs> to the changing at times. all it's actually so it meant kind of to stay frozen in time almost exactly. <laughs> exactly. yeah and i'm just curious how the monarchy is going to look when william eventually takes over and i don't even want to say eventually because that could be very soon mm-hmm. well have you, you know seen the reports already so there were already some leaks and yes. again, I, I i look at these so differently in a post-spare world well no there's been like these you know anonymous sources reports and stories that are saying you know william was watching the coronation and thinking about how he will do it differently right. and yeah. there's already those whispers coming out about how he wants to modernize it and how he wants to have his you know leave his stamp and and listen i think we will all remember Charles's coronation by the time Williams rolls around. And so there yes. will be that direct comparison that we did not have 
this time around. And it will be very interesting to see what they uphold because no other European monarchies crown their kings and queens this way. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that the Brits have really held on to this link to the past when the past is so problematic, it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. so many choices are being made here. Yeah. And it makes you think like, will he speak to Harry before he gets crowned? Like, will that have, what will that relationship look like? It just makes you wonder, and will Andrew be invited? Now, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about Andrew oh because he's a hot topic. Yeah. He is a hot button issue on yes. this I mean, podcast. The fact that he is still anywhere in the mix is, is infuriating. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that he and Harry are so often lumped into the same sentence. It's crazy. I'm right. Like, Everybody just stop. It is not the same. No. Harry moved to California to raise his family. You know, it's like it's, and it's Harry just a tried. Wild he, he tried, tried so exactly. desperately to make this work. You know, I think that Andrew, I on that day, I did not see him on Coronation Day, and only after it was over, after the service was over, when I saw the pictures of him in his robes, I was like, oh my god. And for <laughs> just, me, Andrew is always like. If anybody ever questions Harry and Meghan and how they were treated, and then I can, I, I mean, you can always just point at Andrew and be like, well, look at him. What he's yeah. done is a thousand times worse. And there aren't half as many articles written about him. There is exactly. half, like, it, it's, it's mind blowing to me. It's just maddening. And it's, it's the, crazy. Um, and Fergie just, for some reason, is just riding for him. It's, <laughs> It's bizarre. It's bizarre. I don't. I don't know as much about Fergie, but her um, social media presence. uh, Yes, her (laughs) social media presence is. is She's an influencer to me. (laughs) I will say though that don't you feel like the the most likely people to help Will or to be called up to sort of royal working ranks would be. Beatrice and Eugenie. Like I feel like they're the ones that are just sort of waiting there, Mm -hmm. ready to show up and ready to serve. Yeah, they're always just ready. Yeah, they are. All right, one last thing. What do you, Elizabeth, what do you and what would you like to see from the royal family, let's say, coming out of this coronation in the next 12 months? Well, so I, over on my Substack, I did, Mm -hmm. um, I talked to a bunch of different royal watchers and royal experts ahead of the coronation. And one person I need to shout out to, Elizabeth Angel, she is the editor-in-chief of Romper, but has watched the royals for a long time. She said, you know, if the coronation is like the wedding, then now we watch the marriage, right? So we're watching, which I really appreciated because as I remember when I was getting married, someone's like, your wedding is just one day, but your marriage, you know, stretches on. And so Mm -hmm. like, that's the defining thing. And I think that's very true. And so it it helped put the coronation in perspective for me because yes, it was this massive moment and it was this like elaborate display where they sort of officially present themselves to us. But now the reign of Charles is what I am very interested in. And I think there's a couple different routes he can take. He can either try and make his mark in the time that he has, which is like, that's the weird Mm -hmm. thing about a hereditary monarchy. You just don't know, Mm -hmm. right, how long it's going to be Charles. Or he can sort of tee it up for his son. And I think those two things can be a little bit at odds. I don't think they Mm -hmm. can't coexist, but Mm -hmm. I think that they there's like competing interests there. A thousand percent. And so I'm curious to see if Charles asserts himself and tries to make his mark or if he really does try and 
um, you know, uh, correct things a little bit more. Because from what I understand, the relationship between Harry and Charles is improving. And that makes me good. happy. Yes. yes I've, I've, I have that on pretty good authority. Um, the relationship between Harry and Will is non-existent at this yeah, point. Not and so, so much. Yes. And so I think um, I actually am hopeful for Charles. I'm hopeful for um, it. I'm, I'm interested because, like I said, I do have sympathy for him. He's waited mm-hmm. so long and everyone's mm-hmm. like, you're not your mom. You're not as exciting. What are you going to do? And, and so we'll sort of see. I think um, I haven't. You know, my eye is going to Charles over and over. And, like, yes, Will and Kate and the kids are very interesting to me, and I'll continue to follow. And, you know, the ways in which Harry and Meghan are, enter that fold or not is very interesting to me. But I really i am so curious to see what Charles does. And then, and then Camilla, too, by his side. I know. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious because I feel like for such a long time Charles has had um, – you know, people make fun of him a lot. They don't take him seriously. It's like he's a big joke. They also, you know, the Diana yeah, of it all. Target. It's just, it, yeah. So I'm just kind of curious to see how he kind of throws his weight around and what he chooses to do with it. And I think kicking Andrew out of um, <laughs> his residence <laughs> is kind of iconic. You know? I think that's a good thing. I, I will say that the Brits seem much uh, warmer towards Charles than Americans do and that they seem to embrace his, you know, nobody's been more, um, nobody's waited longer for this job and nobody's yes. been more prepared to sort of take it on. So in that mm-hmm. sense, he's ready. And he does have, I'm fascinated by what the royals refer to as convening power, his ability to get a lot of people in, in a room to talk about something. And he was like famously political as Prince of Wales, like in a way that people are like, that's kind of a problem. And he can't do that now. People will be watching for that. But, you know, who he chooses to bring together and who he sort of, like the, 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 ways in which he um, flexes, you know, <laughs> with, mm-hmm. whether it's with Andrew or whether it's with the environment or, you know, like what, where he chooses to focus, I think will be very interesting. And, you know, at the coronation concert on Sunday, it was fascinating. They were trying to like humanize him with these little video vignettes yes. in between the different <laughs> acts. And they were like, by the way, he loves, he loves Shakespeare and he loves to paint and he mm-hmm. loves, and this idea that he's like the most sort of cultured monarch, you know, he doesn't have the corgis and the horses that the queen had, but he loves the arts. And so we'll see, you know, I mean, like where he chooses to take all of this and what he, where he um, focuses his royal spotlight will be very interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, we will be watching alongside you. And thank you so much for being here. I know, again, you're coming off of a busy <laughs> few weeks, yeah. a busy year. So we truly appreciate it. Elizabeth, don't forget, this is New York Times instant best-selling author of the book, HRH, So Many Thoughts on Royal Style. Please let everybody know where they can find you online and everywhere else, because we'd love to keep up. Of course, you can find me on Instagram at eHolmes. And then I do a lot of royal coverage over on my Substack, which is so many thoughts.substack.com. Amazing. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, you guys, that's it for this week's episode of Crown Jewels. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. We'll have new episodes every single Thursday, so be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss our next episode. Tell all of your royally obsessed friends and follow me at Lex Nico. And you can follow me at Bravo Historian. And until next time, may God save the bitch. Betches.